0: Welcome, my name is Tina Ryan, and thanks for tuning in to another special podcast episode by Property Guru Property Report, the official magazine of Asia Property Awards and Asia Real Estate Summit. Years back, climate change was a movie genre in the form of cli-fi, aka climate fiction, and sustainability was a mere buzzword to help businesses sell. Now, we are faced with unpredictable weather conditions, overpopulation in urban areas, and so on. Yet, companies, particularly in real estate, are now working together to minimize its carbon footprint. Today, we check up on the current state of the industry when it comes to sustainability. To give us more insight, we are joined by the award's official supervisor, HLB, and our official ESG partner, Deck Foundation. Hi BJ and James and thanks a lot for joining us today. Before we dive in, can you please introduce yourselves and give us a brief insight into each of your companies. Let's begin with James.
1: Thank you Tina and hi to everyone who's joining us today. So I'm James Eckford, the Research and Programme Quality Coordinator at Bandek Foundation based in Thailand. I've been with the foundation for two years and have spent the last five years in thailand in the field of migrant rights so bandik foundation has been working on the ground in construction worker communities in shang mai in northern thailand uh, for the last decade and over that time we've built a very good solid deep understanding and expertise of the social reality of migrant workers and their families who live in temporary employer provided housing in the construction sector so these communities are hidden literally and metaphorically throughout thailand they live enclosed behind four meter steel walls out of sight and out of mind. They lack access to basic services and often legal status, leaving them very vulnerable to rights violations. The children are even more invisible as they often lack birth registration, visa status, access to school or healthcare. This year, Bandek Foundation launched the Building Social Impact Initiative to collaborate with the Thai construction and real estate sector to build their awareness and the capacity to assess and mitigate human rights risks in their supply chains. Thank you,
0: James. Vijay? Thank you, Tina.
2: And thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I'm nice, HLB's Global Sustainability Advisory Services Leader and the Director of HLB Sustainability, SR based in the UK. I have over 29 years of corporate and entrepreneurial experience. HLB is a global network of independent advisory and accounting firms. HLB has over 38,500 professionals across 157 countries, combining local expertise and global. Uh, capabilities in helping clients grow across borders. Our members are locally established with deep roots in their communities, yet are closely connected with professionals, professionals from across the world. HLB's sustainability professionals specialize in developing and embedding sustainability strategy for businesses to gain competitive advantage through compliance, business optimization, business growth, and managed business risk.
0: Thank you, Vijay. Now, both of our participants' uh, companies play a crucial role in the Property Guru Asia Property Awards series of events. Our official ESG partner, Bandek Foundation, for instance, joined the independent judging panel as a consultant for the ESG Accolade. So we wonder, during the process, what is it that you seek in a development to ensure that they live by the standards, James?
1: So the most important aspect, for us when we're going through the submissions, is that they've demonstrated a good understanding of the the three areas of ESG. So what this basically means is that they can present, first and foremost, a sustainability framework where they've conducted a materiality mapping of ESG topics relevant to their business, that they've then benchmarked these against international and national standards, they've engaged relevant stakeholders, and they've also put in place mitigation measures for any risks they've identified, They've set KPIs, and they can show how they've performed, and preferably with some kind of, uh, you know, third-party assurance. But with the amount of um, discussion, expertise, and certification on the environmental and the governance side, i will say most companies in the sector should have a solid understanding of these areas by now. And this is also what I see when I go through these reports. As I just said about identifying the topics and showing uh, different, you know, frameworks, they're very capable of doing this. But what they do find tricky still is the is the social side. So in the past uh, two years, I've read, you know, dozens and dozens of sustainability reports and submissions from developers all over the region. I would say maybe only two to three or perhaps even four have actually considered human rights risks in the value chain. Most restrict uh, the social side to direct office based employees, homeowners, tenants or the local community. Uh, I've never seen anyone mention, you know, communities who may have been uh, displaced in the land acquisition process, for example. It's usually about communities who surround the actual building and those who are nearby the construction site and not, uh, you know, the actual workers who build the buildings, for example. So for the social side, they need to be able to demonstrate. Um, they need to What they need to understand is that they, they know that it's not about just simply doing good. It's not about typical uh, CSR activities that are not relevant to their business. So, for example, where uh, a company will say we've uh, donated, we've made some donations to you know a local school nearby, which has no real connection towards their business. Okay, but they need to take instead a a rights-based approach, and they can use frameworks such as the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Rights, which has been you know in in place since 2011. And there's dozens and dozens of tools out there on how to actually use that in, in practice. So you need to identify those kind of frameworks and then benchmark against them. And just to say, of course, like CSR can be fine, um, but it's it's not relevant to the business. It's simply something extra, okay? It's, it's extra on top of uh, doing good. You can always do those things if you want, but that's not what is included in, in ESG, okay? So a good social sustainability strategy has to map out all the human rights risks across its activities and relationships, and then develop a plan to address, prevent and mitigate those risks.
0: Thank you, James. For VJ, apart from ensuring that the entire judging process goes unbiased, official supervisor HLB shares the same vision as the program in rewarding developers that commit to sustainability. So why is it crucial that we continue to reward developments that promote this agenda?
2: Thank you, Tina. And I think James was absolutely right in also focusing on human rights. For me, sustainability is the practice of preserving and replacing natural resources so we don't damage the planet, at the same time respect life on Earth. Sustainability is about meeting our present needs without compromising the ability of our future generation to meet their own needs. While most people primarily associate sustainability with environmental conservation, it is also about the people and health of our communities, which is what James alluded to before. As per the recent report, on sustainability, uh, environmental sustainability principles for the real estate industry That the, by the World Economic Forum. The real estate sector consumes annually over 40% of global energy. Buildings originate 28% of global greenhouse gas emission and use 40% of raw materials. The World Bank estimates that the real, real estate sector has to reduce CO2 emissions by at least 36% by 2030. The goal of sustainable real estate development is to reduce waste and the industry's impact on the environment in a humane way by utilizing sustainable development practices, employing energy energy efficiency measures, and taking advantage of green technology, with no harm to people. Life cycle assessments and resulting life cycle cost considerations are becoming increasingly important, ensuring the focus is on long-term benefits of sustainable real estate. There is benefits to sustainable construction, but transitioning isn't an overnight process. The general consensus is that sustainable construction comes at a premium and the cost is higher than what the demand actually is. Despite that pushback, however, more owners and developers, both public and private, are turning into greener and more sustainable form of construction. It's good to see that. Hence, it's important to recognize and reward such companies who take the risk and do innovations to give a better and healthy life to our community and people without harming the environment.
0: Now, gentlemen, in your respective opinions, how is the region doing when it comes to achieving the sustainable development goals set by the United Nations?
1: Well, uh, not so good. If you look at the UN Economic and Social Commission for Asia Pacific's um, recent report on SDG progress, so it actually shows not just about 2030, but going into the future. And according to that report, there's barely a 12% chance that the region will accomplish the goals even by 2065. Um, you know, of course, COVID has been a big part of setting this back, but even then the, the progress was not so on track. And then even just for Thailand, I think only two targets are on track: number one and number nine, is no poverty, um industry innovation and innovation infrastructure. And I think you know, this is obviously the most you know authoritative uh, picture you can have, because this is the UN's mandate. And I know no other point in in time have they had this much uh you know data on the SDGs. And I think you know, this shows that while they are very well integrated in discourse. They have a long way to go and to make sure there's you know actual concrete action. And I think you know climate has um the great sense of urgency in action, which is is great, but it's also moving far too slowly. I think we've seen a report recently that said there's there's virtually no way we can reach uh you know the goal of 1.5. Um but also the overwhelming attention you have on one goal also runs the risk of abandoning others. As I said in before in the sustainability reports, there is you know tremendous focus and data on the environment side, but not so much on the social side. And yet inequality remains the greatest challenge uh, to achieving sustainable development. The, you know, the pandemic, geopolitical crisis, and surges in extreme weather that you mentioned before have only made us more vulnerable, and then especially more so for those who are struggling in low-income communities.
0: BJ, please add, if you may, yeah, I can add to
2: some of the stuff. And listening to the COP twenty-seven output from last week in Egypt, you know, we have to walk the talk in globally. And so I would say, harmony, diplomacy, and international cooperation are fundamental conditions for the world to progress on the SDGs towards twenty thirty and beyond. We know that pandemic, rising energy prices, inflation, and cost of living, coupled with the military conflicts, are humanitarian tragedies. These multiple and simultaneous crises. I've diverted the policy attention and priorities away from the medium and long goals, such as the SDGs and the Paris Climate Agreement, which was one of the focus of the COP27 in Egypt last week. After the test report for 2022, progress towards the SDGs in the Asia-Pacific region has slowed down, as James rightly alluded to, but it has also been given, you know, we can give some respite that it is because of the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change have worsened the development challenges but the region is not on track to achieve any of the 17 HDGs. Uh, okay. The re- regression on goal 12, which is responsible consumption and production, and goal 13, which is on climate action, has occurred even as the climate crisis has become more acute. There has been some progress in goals 4, 5, 6, 8, 11, and 14 throughout the region, but very slow and or even stagnant. So at the current rate of change, none of the 17 SDGs will be achieved in all 5 subregions, and only East and Northeast Asia is on track towards goal one, which is on no poverty, and goal nine for industry innovation and infrastructure. What I would say is that there is an urgent need for regional collaboration and partnerships to ensure that no one, no country in any of the Asia-Pacific subregions, is left behind as SDG progresses towards or regresses as well. The the sustainable development goals cannot be achieved without protecting the most vulnerable, as James rightly alluded in his before questions as well, many of whom have been particularly affected by the
0: pandemic. Thank you, Vijay. Now, has the pandemic pushed the message of sustainability forward or did we take a a step back in the past couple of years?
1: So I think it's actually um, both precisely because we took a step back is how the message is being pushed forward now. So I think the you know the pandemic demonstrates to, to people that you know we do live in a society, we have a, a collective experience. And uh, you know before before the pandemic in Thailand, very little attention was paid to the welfare of construction workers and their families. It was only when those uh, poor living conditions created the perfect conduit for the virus did companies actually finally understand that their interests do align with the interests of the workers themselves. And I'd say now the discourse um, on sustainability is certainly greater than ever. And you can see references to the SDGs everywhere from companies' annual reports to almost any government initiative. So, you know, big congratulations to to the UN on getting the message out there. But of course, the you know talk is very easy and anyone can stick in a few SDG icons in a report or put it in the background of a conference, take a picture with the, the blocks together. You know, this is very easy. But I think... Um, you know, only only the pandemic, something like the pandemics and of this kind of global scale, uh, could have hoped to have such a profound impact on people's attitude and behaviour towards sustainability. And I think, you know, the other thing that we've seen is, of course, like the Great Resignation. Um, you know, the, where the wages in developed economies were stagnating since the late seventies or eighties, and living costs were rising astronomically, and this kind of combination is is literally unsustainable. Yet was allowed to continue. Even after the 2008 crash, you know that that wasn't enough. It, we had Occupy Wall Street for a, for a short time, but it, it didn't manifest into anything else. Only then, with the the pandemic, did people finally um, decide to you know leave their jobs, which they were finding unfulfilling or not enough to cover living costs. And I think we've even seen this here when you know at Bandek Foundation, when we've been hiring people from the private sector, that they are leaving that private sector because they they want something more fulfilling. It seems that this is what everyone. This, this message of sustainability is. Is now seeped, you know, deep into people's minds. So I think even though the the situation appears very bleak in terms of being off track with the goals, I think the principles are more deeply embedded than, than ever before in both discourse and policy. And we now have you know a generation, um Generation Z entering the workforce who are far more likely to hold both governments and businesses accountable in actually walking the walk. Vijay, would
0: you like to add anything to that?
1: Yeah,
2: the coronavirus pandemic has reignited the societal debate about sustainability. Harmful emissions have declined as a consequence of the global restrictions on movement and contact with other people. It has reduced the economic activity and the slump in travel by air and other modes of transport. Many people have a greater appreciation of the benefits of more intact natural environment. It's much more pollution-free air, which we can breathe today. Many businesses are adapting to the shift in consumer needs because of sustainability by focusing on local suppliers and moving freight by rail or water instead of by air or road to reduce fuel consumption. People are looking to redefine their lifestyle to reduce, reuse, and recycle. The COVID-19 pandemic forced many construction players to digitize and use technology to ensure the safety of their workers and boost productivity. This dynamic will likely only continue to accelerate. COVID-19 has impacted nearly every area of our lives, from politics and the economy through to society and the environment. Some of the behavioral shifts driven by the pandemic that lowered emissions are likely to remain. For instance, increased warm working, video conferencing, and reduced business travel. COVID-19 has increased the focus of governments and targets of SDG 3, which is about good good health and well-being. SDG 8, which is about decent work and economic growth. To economic stimulus packages and reduced to and efforts to reduce inequalities which is SDG 10 that are central to every pandemic response policy the global coronavirus pandemic is far more than a health crisis a recent bcg survey of more than 3000 people across eight countries has found that in the wake of pandemic people are more concerned not less about addressing environmental challenges and are more committed to changing their own behavior to advance sustainability the COVID-19 crisis is driving change at individual level as well. Among the top actions people are doing more consistently are reducing household energy consumption, increasing recycling and composting and buying locally produced goods.
0: Now for our final question, gentlemen, as advocates of sustainability, what are HLB and Bond Debt Foundation doing to further the campaign? Um,
1: so starting from next year, uh, bandit foundation will move beyond engaging only construction companies and developers but also the government you know so this advocacy will be focused on uh, pushing government agencies and departments to create an enabling environment as i mentioned before you know about local government action uh, for a more responsible and sustainable construction and real estate sector in thailand so our aspiration is that you know our model of intervention will prove to return benefits to both migrant communities as well as the businesses themselves and for businesses you know this is more about um, improved labor retention and risk mitigation, because if one thing that, you know, construction companies fear is a labor shortage and this is something that can be provoked by, you know, certain things in terms of the, the policy framework or, you know, most importantly, the actual treatment of the workers themselves can have a huge impact on whether they stay with certain companies or stay with their subcontractors. So if we can also demonstrate how um, our model also supports the government, you know, meeting the the goals in line, especially of the SDGs, but also the international um, obligations in terms of human rights. But, you know, in the SDGs, we have things like education, healthcare for all, decent work, reduced inequalities, sustainable infrastructure and strong institutions. So through all these things, our, our framework, you know, has some impact on each of those. And we think if we can show this, if we can demonstrate this to the Thai government, they'll see that they also have a lot to benefit and that they will also support governments in implementing it. And then in terms of, you know, engaging the real estate and construction sector, we hope to reach a you know, critical mass of developers and contractors who, who adopt this model and join our initiative. And so that it gradually becomes a way of just the way the sector does its business. And then, you know, if that's successful, it's something that could be adapted in, into, um, in other countries in the region where, you know, construction is also heavily reliant on migrant labor, especially, you know, in Singapore, Malaysia and China.
0: Thank you, James. Vijay, parting words, please.
1: As one of the biggest
2: consumers of natural resources, the construction industry has a big part to play in sustainable development. Sustainable development isn't just depend on the environment. There are other factors which contribute to a construction project being sustainable. Economic factors and social factors all contribute to create a harmonious triple bottom line. This harmonious bottom line is difficult to achieve, but it is achievable. The environmental pillar relates to two things. The ecological impact of the materials used in the construction process And the impact of the surrounding habitat on the surrounding habitat there's more pressure on developers to build ethical the economic pillar is what makes developers come on board with sustainable projects in future buildings that aren't sustainable may not be profitable and be attractive to investors hlb can help companies in achieving their goals of meeting the triple bottom line what gets measured gets done so hlb can help developers aiming to meet the criteria of the three pillars of sustainability by measuring long-term costs and value to achieve sustainable construction. This can be done by conducting a life cycle analysis, which is analyzing the material and the energy inputs from production to the final disposal, looking at the whole life costing by considering all the economic, social, and environmental costs of the project from design to disposal, and of course, carbon footprinting by baselining carbon emissions and creating target to reduce harmful emissions. And I'm sure actually we can continue to support the Property Guru Asia Property Awards for excellence in sustainability in real estate. Together we can make it happen.
0: Thank you so much, gentlemen, VJ James, for that very insightful discussion. Once again, apart from their respective endeavors to promote sustainability, we thank our official supervisor, HLB, and official ESG partner, Bond Foundation, for collaborating with the Property Guru Asia Property Awards platform, To spread the word. For more information about their services, visit hlb.global and bondekfoundation.org. That's B A A N D E K Foundation.org.